Hello and welcome to a show of their own sports and life with me and Laura. I'm Morgan. And I am Laura and it's spring training this week. The MLB it just kind of started. There really isn't much to report. Yeah. Spring training is kind of where it gets boring, even though games like just started being played, but like they're games that don't matter and your starters only play like one inning if that at this point. So there's not much worth talking about, which but I guess is kind of calm good. before the storm. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure after we recorded last week, I told Laura, I'm so tired of talking about baseball because it's all been garbage. So I guess I should be happy that there's nothing to say. So with that, we're going to climb quickly the corporate ladder. So we're going to jump right in. Um, We have a lot of good stories to talk about though. So I'm excited. So first is the Honda West division. One of the things I kind of wanted to talk about, because it's been a storyline going for a while now, and I just haven't brought it up, is Vegas school pending. So if you all remember last year, there was, they traded for Robin Leonard um, from Chicago at the trade deadline. And then Robin Leonard was kind of who Vegas chose to ride in the off season. And then Marc-Andre Fleury's not exactly subtle agent. Yeah. Like picture of the sword through Marc-Andre Fleury. And it was this whole thing. But then in the off season, they signed Leonard to a long-term contract, which is like, he's the goalie of the future. Fleury has like one or two years left on this contract. But Leonard got hurt. And Marc-Andre Fleury, and this is what he's like. He's like, there's a few of these goaltenders who alternate between like God mode and like Swiss cheese mode. And right now we're in Marc-Andre Fleury God mode. Marc-Andre Fleury, now that said, there are some who's like on year, off year. That was never Fleury. He's a little more like, he'll just have stretches. But right now he's had a really long stretch of really amazing play, a 9.41 save percentage and a 1.59 goals against average. With which with any team, I mean, even if it's Detroit, if that's what you're putting up, you're giving your team a really great chance at winning. Mm-hmm. But with Vegas, you're giving your team an amazing chance at winning, and Vegas is winning. And so that's, I just thought it was really impressive to see. And I think it will be really interesting when Leonard comes back from injury. Obviously, I think they have to ride Flurry and kind of do Leonard as like the back-to-back guy kind of thing um, until Flurry loses his net. And that's kind of what they'll do with like the hot hand you ride it until they lose their net. Um, I also wanted to talk about a team we don't always talk about a lot, but Minnesota. The Wild are really buzzing right now. Um, And I wanted to point out because Minnesota for so long has been so boring to watch. (laughs) And there's two things. Boos Boudreau is no longer their coach. Boos Boudreau is actually a very good coach. He's a good coach because he has like really strong defensive schemes, which doesn't exactly make for the most compelling hockey game, especially when you have the offense that Minnesota has, which is very not existent. (laughs) You kind of just get a little bit of a boring hockey game. But then they had this year their rookie, uh, Kirill Kaprizov, come over from Russia. And he has just been so fun to watch. Um, And he is leading the team with 17 points and he's three ahead of second place which when the leader has 17 three is quite a distance actually um and I think he alone may like he just kind of brings an energy to that team that makes it so different um it's just interesting 
And then the last one, I had it about the sharks, but we're going to amend it a little bit because it's also going to be about the sharks game last night. <laughs> but the sharks this week returned to play after co- being on the COVID list. And how bad is that? I didn't know they were paused. Yeah, I was going to say, when I saw that tweet, I was like, oh, they they haven't been playing? Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, there's so every team so far, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're on the COVID list. Yeah. The Sharks are on the COVID list. <laughs> they're that bad. And yeah. I heard someone talk about this. It is amazing. So 2012, or 2012, 2016, they made it to the Stanley Cup final, and they lost to the Penguins. 2017, they made it to the playoffs. 2018... They made it, they lost to Vegas in the first round. 2019 was when they beat Vegas in that controversial game seven call, but they made it all the way to the conference finals. And then they just completely dove off a cliff because they didn't have their first round pick and they ended up gifting the, uh, the Senators their fourth pick. And, all, and now they're just terrible. And I mean, so yeah. they went from being like, not just the playoff team, but like make some noise in the playoff team. Cause it wouldn't be shocking if like a mediocre, like fringe playoff team dove off a cliff. Yeah. But this is like a competitive, perennially competitive team that just like died. And it's very interesting to watch. That said, we had an absolute carnival of a game on Saturday. Um, it ended up being seven, six, <laughs> blues i believe no i think it might have been at the end of uh regulation yeah it was uh marco scandela went it for the blues in the third period at some point um but just an absolute not a good defensive showing but i think that's more surprising from the blues than the mm-hmm. sharks because the sharks have like their top defensemen are like Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson used to be a a really good all-around defenseman, like not really good, absolutely amazing, like the class of the league. He got hurt in the 2017 playoffs, and ever since then, it's not quite been the same. But both Eric Carlson and Brent Burns are so, and Brent Burns especially, is so offensively natured that you wouldn't think defense is like their strong suit so it didn't exactly surprise me and when you look at the goaltending tandem that they're rocking I believe it's Devin Dubnik and Martin Jones neither of which are particularly good most years um it's just interesting that is actually I think kind of the interesting thing about the Sharks their decline kind of coincides with shockingly their goaltender who was really good and then all of a sudden he just never was good again and he'll go through like a couple games where he'll maybe be okay but he's just not a consistent starter anymore I have to look it up well their leader in uh, goals against averages Alexi Melnichuk who has probably played like one game or less because he has a 0.00 but Devin Dubnik has 3.46 And Martin Jones has 3.85, neither of which are, like, really super competitive. Save percentages, 8.92 for Devin Dubnik and 8.77 for Martin Jones. So none of that is really surprising. I was just Mm -hmm. surprised how much the Blues, like, gave up. Yeah. I think the Blues, 
I think Doug Armstrong did a little bit of like what Jim Rutherford did to the Penguins, where he they won things, and then he decided he didn't like quite how they were winning, and so he needlessly changed the team because I don't know what the point of the Justin Falk trade was, and so then he traded for Justin Falk before last season and gave him immediately signed him to this really long contract extension which when he do did that he basically removed a position and money to pay for Alex Petrangelo and so then they had a little bit of money but not enough for Alex Petrangelo so they signed Troy Krug I would rather have the rest of the Blues defense and Alex Petrangelo than Tory Krug and especially Justin Falk. Tory Krug's a good player. He's like a good power play quarterback, but I mean, so is Petrangelo. But Justin Falk is not that good. He is a little bit overrated in my mind. And so it just seems like some someone was bored <laughs> and decided to, to do some weird shit. And I, I don't get it, but they, they're kind of committed to that now. And Obviously, I think they're going to make the playoffs, mostly because the West is like the haves and the have-nots, and I think, I feel pretty confident that they, that they won't pass anyone, but I mean, they're not getting great goaltending either. Bennington at 9.09 is like average-ish, but it's not exactly great. I mean, it's, it's yeah. like right in average, below average, and then Billy Huso, who who the heck is that? Eight seventy nine, and so it's like they have they don't have two goaltenders. I just I I'm kind of over them. I think yeah. they're I think I don't see them as super competitive right now. Yeah. Next, Scotia North Division. Uh, the Oilers are doing really amazing. They I thought this was an interesting stat. A little bit ago, they won six in a row on the road, which is the first time they did that since 1986 to 87. Wow. A long time. They're eight and two of their last 10. Of course, it really does help that they have Connor McDavid and Leon That I feel like most teams would be able to get caught with those two. Yeah, especially since they both had that long point streak. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's interesting. There's some statistics. I don't have them right in front of me of the Oilers when McDavid and Drysaddle get points and when they don't. And it's night and day. Yeah. And they're starting to get a little more where like the Oilers have some help surrounding the two of them because like they worked things out with Yakupov so he's been McDavid's winger they have Ryan Nugent Hopkins Kyler Yamamoto so I'm thinking they have two legit lines because it used to be that they had two legit lines solely because of McDavid and Drysaddle and they were like like carrying on their back wingers who you've never heard of (laughs) and it just wasn't really working that well yeah but still with the Oilers because of how they're they're paid things and just how some of the decisions Shirelli made you have like these two lines that are really really like top like class of the league kind of lines and then you have your third and fourth line and it's like just hold the fourth just don't do anything until we can get McDavid and try settle back on that ice and the other thing I think has kind of become more of a discussion point this year, which is interesting, 
compared to someone like Matthews, who's also been hot, and Marner, who's those two are right up there with Drysaddle and McDavid. Mm-hmm. McDavid is actually not good at defense, and it's not even like, well, he's great at offense and just like meh at defense. He's a little bit of a defensive liability. Like his best defense is just having the puck in the offensive zone because he's not very good defensively, which is kind of a bit, a pretty strong weakness in like when you want to talk about best player in the NHL, which I think he still clearly is. But like, if you want to have a long career of that, if you look at Sidney Crosby, really good defensively and all, and I think most really good players have at least some at least aren't a liability so right that's kind of interesting um I also wanted to talk about the flames um they're a little all over the place they won three nothing against the Leafs and they lost two one in overtime both of which are pretty good showings but then they lose six one to the Sens which is bizarre yeah and then they did beat the Sens on Saturday but still it was just I I don't get them. And I also <laughs> think I I think they should after this season, maybe mid-season, get rid of him, uh, Jeff Ward and Gerard Gallant's available, Claude Julian's available, like actually good hockey coaches are available. I would even even someone like Young and something like that, just something different. And I do think if things continue the way they're going. I would almost bet the house that one of, or maybe both of Sean Monahan and Johnny Goodrow, at least one, but maybe both are gone just because people, those are their top, like three offensive people are Goodrow, Monahan, and Kachuk. And they're not getting rid of Kachuk just because he's such an identity player for that team. And there's no, and he has been delivering. It's Monahan and Goodrow who've been a little all over the place. I think they could get more for, for Goudreau because um, I think Goudreau is a more dynamic player, but they really need a first-line center. Because if you look at Sean Monaghan compared to Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid or even Sidney Crosby or Alexander Barkov, like I'm just thinking of all of the team's top-line centers off. And he's definitely solidly in the bottom half of the league. So are they like doing way worse than expected? Because I mean, I know they were in playoffs last year, but the only thing I know about them is the fact that they played the stars and I expected them to play better against the stars, but they didn't, but they were also struggling with um, injuries. But then again, playoffs was months after the season. So it kind of moved things around, but were they, expected to be better than what they're doing this season or is this about here's the thing with with the flames so for the last couple of seasons they've been really good and Mm -hmm. like like interesting to watch and like just doing well and chugging along but they had a goaltending tandem tandem one year it was mike smith and David Riddich, which if you know that, if you know Mike Smith, that's a scary thought. And then <laughs> uh, last year was Cam Talbot, and which was interesting. Last year, 
uh, Edmonton and Calgary just switched goalies because Mike Smith played for Calgary and Cam Talbot paid for Edmonton. And then last year they switched. So mm-hmm. they had Cam Talbot and it's still like it was not really, it was a very mediocre goaltending duo. Well, then they go out and they sign Jake Markstrom, who is like well-regarded as one of the best goaltenders in the league. And he has played, like his save percentage, I don't think really shows it, but he has played really well and done, done what was asked of him. And so I think a lot of people thought that once they had him, that that would like complete their team a little bit not that they would be I don't think when you look at people like teams like the Leafs mm-hmm. and the Oilers they're not they don't have that kind of dynamic offensive ability but kind of maybe more in like a Islanders Minnesota like defensive first but then they can really muck it up and win kind of thing and it just isn't that and I do think they need to change something, but it's hard to, to figure out how, because right. you're so screwed without a first line center. And even Johnny Gaudreau is not going to get you a first line center. Like it, those are tough to get through trade. Mm-hmm. You're going to be hard pressed. So I, I, I just, they're one of those teams where they're very mediocre and I don't know how they escape that. And yeah. I think they want to escape it. I don't think tanking is a choice for them, but I don't know how they get around. Gotcha. Like just being a meh, might yeah. make the playoffs, <laughs> might be like the first four teams out of the playoffs kind of thing. But I also wanted to talk about uh, the Canadians fired Claude Julian after they've been on a massive skid um, recently. And they named Dominique Ducharme as their interim coach. I said he's already somewhat qualified to be head coach in that he's from Quebec. And I actually heard this explained. So if you look at the list of of coaches in Montreal Canadiens history, it's like French Canadian, French Canadian, French Canadian, French Canadian. And then you see one interim head coach that clearly wasn't French Canadian. Then it's like French Canadian all the way back. Well, the one time it was an interim coach. So they had fired someone and they're just like, well, this guy's going to be our interim. Apparently the Montreal and Quebec media like flipped because he didn't speak French. So couldn't do the French interviews and all of that. And they like had some kind of massive revolt. And so now it's like, they must have a French speaking at least, but preferably French Canadian. I don't know that they've ever had like French speaking, but not French Canadian coach. Oh my God, they have, I, like, a lot of people are saying there aren't many left. Like, <laughs> you're either going to have to name Ducharme or you're going to have to like go back to people they've already hired in the past. Oh my God. It's hilarious. But um, they lost their first two games and I saw this on Twitter. Everyone is rooting for them to win. I believe their next game is Tuesday because then everyone has the, the headlines third times Ducharme oh right so dumb but I love it everyone has the paper headlines already written up so they really want them to win it's not gonna happen now it's not gonna happen which is so disappointing um so that was the uh Scotia North Division next is the Mass Mutual East Division uh Buffalo Stinks that's not news uh they've stunk for decades now um the thing that I think is news 
is Jeff Skinner, who everyone acknowledged the Jeff Skinner contract was a bad idea when it happened because he was okay, like pretty good, but not amazing in Carolina, gets traded to Buffalo, gets put on Eichel's wing, does amazing because he's on Eichel's wing, and then they give him a $9 million a year contract with one year to, to back it up. Like that's not a good idea. Yeah. And last year did not play like a $9 million player. Like people were not surprised by that. But then this year they put him on the fourth line, which is, th- which that's a coaching issue. Yeah. And then they said, he's, then they made him a healthy scratch. And again, a coaching issue. There isn't a team in the league where he is either a healthy scratch or a fourth line player. Like on Pittsburgh, who has a pretty good offense, he is guaranteed on Malkin or Crosby's wing. Guaranteed. I was listening to the Steve Dangle podcast and they were talking about it and they're like, guaranteed he's with Matthews or Tavares if he's on this Leafs. So like even your most dynamically offensive teams have room for him. Mm-hmm. Buffalo is not your most dynamically offensive team. They have room for him and it ain't on the fourth line. And he's your $9 million player. Maybe one game is a wake up call, but you got to yeah. make it work. You yeah. really got to make it work. And here's the thing, Ralph Kruger, like they've already committed the money to him. Your team is sucking. If you were winning and you were healthy scratching him, you could probably get away with it. But when your team sucks and you're healthy scratching him and the owners are paying $9 million, the owners are going to pick Jeff Skinner. Yeah. Because they got to keep paying him and there's no way they're offloading that contract. So like maybe try playing him. Maybe like Hall, Eichel, Skinner. But even if you don't want to do that, either with Eichel with Skinner and then Hall with uh, Stahl, or you could do Stahl with Skinner. Like there's so many options of things you could try that make more sense than fourth line winger, Jeff Skinner or Crest Box resident Jeff Skinner. <laughs> like neither of those make sense. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, coaches do that. This is like an NHL thing where it's like trying to prove some point. And it's it's like the old school style of coaching where it's like these are the same people who think like yelling in the locker room and like <laughs> doing all this actually like results in wins. Right. And it's just like can you maybe engage your brain a little bit like play your best player um just since you mentioned uh the fact that they sit in the press box and they're healthy scratches that's always fascinated me and I don't know if it's just because like no other sport does like does that because like in baseball I guess if you're well they don't have healthy scratches but the people who aren't in the lineup they're still in the dugout obviously hockey benches aren't that big for them but I just find it so fascinating that instead of like just chilling in the locker room or in like in an own like suite for the team they're up in the press box that's just it's fascinating to me as someone as someone who's been in a press box uh the one thing I think maybe they do because there are like coaches and stuff up there so I'm wondering if it isn't like a live video session almost. Yeah. It's like, here, see that, or like they can see things better. But then also with these, uh, it, it especially makes sense with these uh, game series things that they're doing. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if you're just a healthy scratch for one game or we're kind of having a rotating or if someone gets hurt, then you've seen kind of schematically what the other team is doing. Yeah. And so it, it, it makes a little bit of sense. It is just a little weird, though, when they, like, shoot the camera up there and there's some guy, like, chewing on some nachos. <laughs> like, this is a little weird. It's also, like, me just thinking from, like, a journalist perspective, which I guess if you're a hockey reporter, you're already used to them being there anyway. But to me, I just want to be, like, talking to them the whole time to try and see if I get anything out of it. Or even if it's just, like, not even about hockey because that makes a good story too but you'd all like I guess also I would think at least in the arenas right now that don't have fans like I'd imagine them being in the stands at least because then you could also easier social distancing yeah, obviously and I don't know where exactly they're putting them this year yeah and it did look like the GM who normally sits in the press box they just gave them like a suite yeah so they're putting them in like a suite this year because they are keeping because the press don't have the same rules that the players do yeah so they're keeping like there's a separation and they can't even go like they don't even have a press briefing room or anything it's all zoom because of that so I'd imagine that maybe they do a similar thing this year with like the suite or something like that but I just think it's fascinating and now like my mind kind of thinks of what if they did that in baseball or yeah any of the others because it's like the only sport I remember for when the first time they ever hand to that as like a healthy scratch I'm like that's where they go when they're healthy scratched is the press box I mean it 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 makes sense but also in my mind I'm like I would have thought they'd just be like in their dressing room or something yeah it is interesting and sometimes what they'll do is if they if they're not sure if a player can go or not they'll have the other player like take warm-up and then if they can't if they if the player can go then the healthy scratch just undresses and goes up to the so it is it is an interesting thing I never really yeah. thought about. Um, I have an update on Panarin. So if you haven't, I did a quick header about that situation. Yes. But uh, someone contacted the KHL, the Continental Hockey League, aka the Russian Hockey League. And they said they never received any complaint about Panarin's contact. Uh, conduct in 2011 they would have investigated it if they did and I feel like with not as if we hadn't already over uh, done already I had already closed this case but I feel like this is just another like uh I I heard this in a supreme court decision this is gonna be nerdy but icing on a cake already frosted like (laughs) I I feel like I like that uh so basically, I, th- I think we can pretty much call bullshit yeah. on that claim. And they're saying even in Russia, most people are like, this guy's crazy. Like, what are they even doing? But that the question a lot of us then have is, there must be something going on behind the scenes. And I don't really know what it is of, for why he's so concerned for his family. And that really scares me. And I, I just hope everything is okay with that. Obviously, he's an amazing hockey player, but he shouldn't be back until he's all right in the head until and until he knows his family and friends are safe because that's it's really terrifying. Yeah. Um, now, it, who was the one that like made up the story or whatever? That wasn't the KHL? It was, some reason his, was, it was his former coach okay, former in the coach. KHL, who's kind of known as like a hothead and also like 
Putin fanboy. Yeah. But it certainly doesn't seem like Vladimir Putin instigated this just because, like, don't like the guy, but you got to give him that he's pretty shrewd politically. Yeah. And this is the opposite of that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm feeling like he had no knowledge of this. So that makes it even weirder that his former coach would just randomly decide what. I, and people are kind of speculating that he didn't because like the timing with the Olympics. Yeah. They wanted to get him like definitively not on the Olympic team because the Russian Federation would have wanted him on the Olympic team. And I think he's still going to be on the Olympic team because he's an amazing hockey player. And yeah. A bullshit story is not going to take you from. And keep in mind, 2018, confirmed, pled guilty, domestic abuser Slava Voinov played on the Russian Olympic team. So even in some alternate universe where this accusation was true. I wouldn't have done much. Excluding on the Russian Olympic team apparently now it should have been and I would have complained about that if it was but I'm like what are you even doing yeah like what are you trying to accomplish this isn't right. and and it, how dangerous for like the whole concept and the whole case of domestic abuse to and assault and all of that to use a false accusation to try to slander a person it's just terribly damaging to Mm -hmm. people who are victims and the one thing I will say is I think I do think people are smarter about things not uh, not everyone obviously but I think there are more people who are open to listening and believing women when they come forward Mm -hmm. and I think there were a lot of people this time who were like listen, I'm not going to write it off right away, but like we need to hear from some kind of accuser or someone representing the accused or some kind of law enforcement agency, something official. Because ex-former coach, who's kind of a crazy person, stating an accusation just isn't the same as someone come forward and saying, I'm a victim. Not very reliable. Yeah. And I think that is an important distinction that people made when investigating this. And someone, he's, he's not a primary source either. He, it's just. Yeah. But if someone had he heard possibly. If someone had come forward as an abuse victim, even if they would gotten paid off eventually, or if it turned out something like that, then I think the situation is different where it has to be like super investigated and stuff like that. Right. But I think the fact that people were suspect of this from the start, jump, yeah. I understand that. And I was definitely in that group. So it's, it's. I, like I said, I think we can slam this case closed. Yeah. I think if this were in a U.S. court, it wouldn't even make it to trial. Right. Like, are you kidding me? And the defense or the prosecution would probably have to pay like costs or something. Yeah. This is insane. And like um, you said in the quick hitter, it, if it doesn't even seem true considering the Rangers were so defensive not even that's not even the right word in their statement they were very adamant yes and usually you don't see that even if they if they're pretty sure it didn't happen you wouldn't hear that kind of like strong language in a statement like that from a team yeah it was the same day too it like strong language so fast and then like not even just to be like he didn't do it but like this is a political hit job yeah they basically said that and it's like okay 
there is zero like even the rangers who tony d'angelo all that business they've had their pr struggles yeah there is not a pr team in the nhl who would release a statement like that one without first i'm, I'm sure someone in the nhl looked that over and was okay yeah. with it because the nhl like reposted it right away and two without being like 10,000 percent sure it didn't happen yeah, because I even I saw the statement before I knew anything about the story and I sent it to you and I was like, that's some very strong language for a team statement. And then I heard the story and I was like, that's very strong and very good language then. Yeah. So I think I think it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I think I think all of us were wise to it. So yeah. It was good that that and it also kind of shows, I think, the power of social media. Because mm-hmm. if that accusation had come out like without social media I think people might have been like wait what and then it would have taken days for it to get refuted and all that whereas I think right now people were suspicious right away and then information got around really fast and everyone was like okay this is wrong but anyways next the penguins so um it's been a little all over the place they ended up going two and two on their road swing which I mean is five they're right in the mix it's kind of, there's kind of five teams competing for four spots and there's still five teams competing for four spots um Jason Zucker is out kind of long term that's kind of not great <laughs> um but Tappanen had been kind of moved down the line and then he had a really great game moved up the line up and then he and Teddy Bluger were out on three and three overtime and they got a bit of a breakaway, which because Barry Captain in three on three overtime is a fun thing because he is a speedster. And Teddy Bluger is so underrated. And it was this great play where Captain ended up scoring the OT goal. But I am prepared and I'm gonna, it's going to break my heart that Teddy Bluger, we're going to lose Teddy Bluger in the expansion draft because he. He's a third lane center we didn't know we needed because <laughs> we've been trying like all of these names, all of these household mm-hmm. names we traded for, and they just never worked. Like Nick Benino was the last third line center who worked. And but trying all these names, and then they assigned Teddy Bluger as like a unrestricted, undrafted free agent. And he's just so steady. He him and Brandon Tanov on the penalty kill together is so amazing and good for so many shorthanded chances and it's just that line pan of blue grass and race it's just like they line they match up against the team's best competition all the time they're so good and so i'm just i'm prepared but it's gonna hurt um uh i i said they're still worrying me but when i watch them play it's so much better because in the past, it, it just almost didn't feel like they were there was a flow to them and their game and stuff like that. And now it does. And they're just losing in ways that are a little more routine, I would say, when they lose. Still not great, but I feel better. The one thing I would like to recommend, I noticed it tonight, the Pens lost. On Sunday, they lost 2 nothing to the Islanders. And it's the first time the Islanders have shut out the Pens in like over 30 years so that that wasn't fun but uh, 
one thing I noticed uh, on the Maple Leafs, Kapanen was like a mainstay on their penalty kill and good for a breakaway in a lot of the penalty kills he was on. So great shorthanded chances. And he doesn't even play the PK for the Penguins. And I think that's a really big mistake. So I think they need to find a way to work him in because I think he brings a lot of value there. His speed is really helpful. And so I think, I don't know why they aren't, but I really hope that they do eventually. End with that. Let's end with the- One second. Okay, yes. I did have a Penguins thing that you sent me that I wanted to discuss, and that's Alex's dad's so alex's dad (laughs) alex Tang's dad scored in overtime and um to win it for us which is exciting and then of course the penguins had to tweet and they decided to tweet his whole name which i did not know at the time but it is quite a doozy we've got christopher joseph pierre Irwin latang wow which i love (laughs) does it sound like he's supposed to be a, a royal with all the middle names well, yes, and my first thought was, if you've seen the Cinderella movie that has Brandy in it, there's a song called The Prince is Giving a Ball, and he's saying all of the names of the prince, and it's like, it's twice as long as that, but it's, it starts out his Royal Highness, Royal Highness Christopher Rupert, and immediately I thought of that when you said it, and so it made it that much more funnier if you've ever heard that song because it's just a mess of names. But the fact that he has so many, it's perfect. And at first I was like, maybe this is a joke, but it is on his Wikipedia page. So it's legit. that's just amazing. And now I want everyone to call him by his entire, it's either Alex's dad or his entire name. Uh, Nothing else. <laughs> I did want to point out because, uh, Another Pierre, uh, Pierre Maguire, is, is famous for refusing to call him Chris Letang and calls him Christopher Letang every single time. And Pierre Maguire, just fun fact, his actual name is Regis Pierre Maguire, which is very Pierre. It's very him. Yeah. But I kind of love that. Um, so discover Central Division. So last week, we kind of covered the surprising Florida Panthers. This week, I thought it would be kind of fun to cover the surprising uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, the loser point is definitely keeping them afloat. Last <laughs> I checked, they were 11-6-4. and four, So that's the whole four points, which is two games they gained from. And it sounds like they're winning right now. My, I can hear their goal horn going off upstairs <laughs> for my... So I, yeah, they just won. So that would put them at 12, 12, seven and four is what they would be at now. But so the, the loser point is definitely helping. Um, let me see where they are. They're at fourth place in the league, uh, fourth place in winning percentage. And there's a pretty good gap. So they have a five, this is before the win. So that right now they have a 591 and it'll go up. So something 600 above uh, winning percentage. And by winning percentage, the fifth place team is a certain somebody's Dallas Stars with a 500 uh, record. I'm surprised they're that high. Well, by points, they're dead last. <laughs> but it's because of the whole not playing a lot of games. Yeah. But I definitely like Patrick Kane 
has come through for them because at the start of the season, they didn't re-sign Corey Crawford, which everyone was so surprised at. And so everyone's like, Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban, like, how are you even going to get through games? And turns out there's this person named Kevin Lankin and no one of, none of us knew who's like went under everyone's radar and is having an amazing season. So he, that is absolutely crucial. But then Kirby Doc had a long, has a long-term injury and Jonathan Taze, no one quite knows what's going on with him, but he's been out for a long time and is continuing to be out. So there's top two centers on a team that isn't exactly loaded. I mean, any team, like, imagine Pittsburgh without Crosby and Malkin at the same time like that's a tough tough thing to to overcome (laughs) so for them to be as good as they are like I said it's huge Patrick Kane they also have Puce Suter who came out of nowhere too they've had a lot of like surprising heroes come out of nowhere Mm -hmm. but Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrinket and those types uh, have definitely done their part which they needed to next I wanted to talk about Nashville who is absolutely terrible this year um and they did kind of do what I talked about San Jose not doing where it was like they were really good and then they just kind of started slowly creeping on down and now we're here um they just aren't good (laughs) that's all I can say about that Um, At one point last week, it's not true now, but at one point they had the same number of points as Dallas, but had played four more games than Dallas, which is pretty bad. That would say that Dallas has to get one loser point to overtake them in four games, which even Dallas, I I would bet over Nashville. (laughs) Uh, But so now uh, their GM, David Poyle, is apparently shopping player, like everyone, it's everyone is, is available to go except for three we got Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis makes sense Roman Yossi is their captain best defenseman really amazing Ryan Ellis really amazing pretty valuable contract definitely makes sense and then the last one is Pecorine and you're like wait what like of all the players on like Philip Forsberg they're available but Pecorine isn't and then you think of Pecorine is on a one-year contract and he has, so he, it expires this year and he has never played anywhere else besides the Nashville Predators. And so everyone thinks he's going to retire after this year and they want him to retire a Nashville Predator. And I believe he has no move cause. So everyone's just like, okay. So it's not, it's less of like, we have to keep him and more like, right. we're going to keep him because we're tanking anyways. And we want him to be pred for life kind of thing. But there's going to be some like Philip Forsberg, Victor Arvidsson, um, Matthias Ekholm, even I think Dante Fabro, who hasn't done as amazing as he's been hyped to be. But I think people like that are going to have real value. But then you've got like Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson, who are both making $8 million and very not worth that money. And it's like, you aren't going to be able to offload those players. And especially Duchesne is making $8 million for a while. So I don't, I, the rebuild's going to be a tough thing to do, but we'll see what happens. It is just interesting to see how far they've fallen and how fast. Uh, 
but then we're going to end with Morgan discussing the stars. So I'm sorry, Morgan, the time has come. <laughs> Take it away. Um, I guess I'm always happy that this is at the end of everything else because I dread it mostly <laughs> lately. Uh, I, well, I will say, I feel like last week's episode, you warned me about Florida. So I went in just assuming the stars weren't going to do very well against them um which they didn't except for one game that they finally broke their losing streak but then immediately started a new one um where Hudobin actually looked like oh my god we finally got last year's Hudobin back because the last couple games he's just been off kind of when you were talking about um Marc-Andre Fleury and you were saying odd mode or Swiss cheese mode. It's kind of how it's felt like with Hudobin this year. Um, and then you get a 3-0 win to break a losing streak. And it's like, oh, he's back. And then not so much on Saturday when the Stars lost 5 nothing. And I'm not – it. the blame goes across the board. Goaltending – forwards defense coaches everyone so I don't mean to always harp on bonus even though there are some things that he does that I'm like it's his fault for sure because he's the head coach but the one issue I had is like well I had a lot of issues with Saturday's game but the main one not okay not even the main one but one that I'm currently thinking of was after two periods it was four nothing and I'm thinking okay why bring Dobie back into the third period? Like, why start the third period with him when he, he's not getting any help from his team because they looked god-awful. Defense forwards. Like, it, I don't know how many times the broadcast said two stars literally ran into each other in just the first period alone. And, like, everything about it was sloppy. So I'm thinking just let Dobie off for the rest of the game. Like it's one period. They're not coming. They're not scoring four goals in that to tie it up. It's not going to happen. And then like three minutes into the third period when they score, I maybe they scored their fourth. No, they scored their fifth goal then because they scored their fifth goal and then they pulled Dobie to put Ottinger in. And I'm like, but you already gave up the fifth goal. <laughs> like what? why are we doing this now like it just and it's happened there's been a few times where I'm like why do you wait until that goal to pull the goal and he did it with Bishop a couple times too where it was like it just it just feels like one goal too many before you finally pull them and and almost in the same way that that it feels like you know if the stars had Sagan and Radulov was off of IR and like they had everyone Giryanov and Hintz would get like the big ice times on games where they were already like out of it essentially by like the second period. It feels that way when he pulls goalies of like, you just wait a little too long to pull them, just pull them. Like what's the point of just laying them out there for 20 more minutes? Um, It just, it's frustrating to watch, especially because when at the beginning of the season, it was like the stars were on a revenge tour and it was going to be great. And this is going to just be a continuance of last of the playoffs. And it was just but better. And then it was just like, 
they died and then and like part of me is like well they did have the first week off because they had COVID protocol and then they missed a whole week in the middle of that because of the winter storm but even in the middle it's not like they were on a winning streak and then the winter storm happened and messed everything up like they were already sucking so like honestly it kind of felt like the winter storm was like fine good I don't have to watch them for a week which weirdly enough is also how I felt when uh last year around this time when COVID happened and they were in a terrible losing streak and then they stopped playing I was like thank god I didn't want to watch them anymore um but now it's just like we're like we just played Tampa Bay for the first time which was the 5-0 loss and we looked awful and here I was thinking okay they're gonna play Tampa Bay for the first time and it's gonna be like they're gonna have like fire under them they're gonna be pissed off and usually the stars pissed off and aggravated makes for a good game uh Jamie Alexiak got in a fight in the first period was that this game see now I'm like was that this game or Florida because they were a little chippy with Florida but it's just like this game and I don't don't know who to blame because it feels like they were all bad and now they're coming home to play Tampa and I'm like well maybe being home will help but then I'm also thinking okay October of last season when they went on that 0 and 6 or whatever and they got booed out of their own rink like pin um but they're here for six games so maybe being home will help I don't know it's just here's I think some like just I think in any there is no way that you make it out of the central division because the top four make it and then you play in your division and then one person makes it out of their division Mm -hmm. there is I don't think there's a way you can make it out of the central division without having to go through Tampa or Florida yeah because in order for that to happen to not have to play one of them one of them would have to miss the playoffs and then Mm -hmm. the other one would have to lose like in the first round and not be against the stars so you're going to have to go through those two teams does that look like a team that can compete with either of those teams right now not really no and it's sad because it's like the stars are essentially the same team like yes they're missing bishop but they didn't have him in playoffs anyway the main people they're missing is sagan and radulov and yes they're great players but i also feel like they should be able to take on some of these teams without them yeah it's because well, you you come back to Chicago is missing their top two centers. Yeah, yes, Sagan and Radulov that sucks, but they have Hints, they have Pavelski. Yeah, they have Ben. Like what else? Gurionov. Yeah, and it was just like, you know, with when they played the Panthers, like like I said, I I kind of expected them to go in and not be that great just because of what you told me about Panthers and I felt like the Panthers were just going to shock them especially considering they don't play the Panthers very often ever and then Tampa scared me because I mean they just played the Stanley Cup and the Stars lost but I was hoping they would have that we're pissed off at them they took the cup from me kind of mentality and instead they were just like dead on arrival and didn't like nothing like I was so frustrated. I didn't even keep track of ice times. I have no idea who led in ice times last night and I don't care. Um, it was just like awful because it, even Garyanov could have had 20 minutes and it wouldn't have mattered, but he probably did because they lost five, nothing. Um, but it's just like, 
it didn't feel like a fluke in the play. I mean, look, I did not expect them to go to the Stanley Cup at all until they were there. And even when they were there, I was still like, is this actually happening? Or am I in like a COVID dream? Like what is happening here? But I didn't. And you could say that, I mean, they had months between the end of the regular season and playoffs. So a lot can happen. A lot changes. So some of it could be a little luck, a little fluky kind of thing. But there still wasn't that much time really between playoffs and this season. And I kind of felt like they could have kept some of that momentum or tried to. So I guess I'm more frustrated with it doesn't make sense why they're flopping so bad. And yeah. I don't know who to blame and, and I want you someone to blame. you don't have that much time to turn it around. <laughs> exactly. that, And that's the other thing is that especially the Stars have played like a fourth of the season. They're like 10 games behind some of the teams that have played all their games so far. And I know they're going to play Tampa, I think, eight more times, which is terrifying. I feel like they've already played all the easy teams. Mm-hmm. And I just don't like this feeling, especially since I already have to have this feeling with my baseball team. So <laughs> if the Stars could just pull it out for me, that'd be great. Um, I did want to talk about, funny, we're in the Central Division. Um, I just red because the, the game is going on as we speak Chicago is playing Detroit and Patrick Kane got the, his 400th goal in his career so I wanted to point that out Patrick wow. Kane uh probably one of the not probably definitely one of the best American players of all time um has had an up and down career personally speaking not always the greatest human and I think a lot of people know that but definitely a really dynamic score and just definitely a huge part of the reason of Chicago won their three cups so just an interesting little thing that literally just happened so as we're recording this yeah um one other thing I wanted to mention about the stars too because I I remembered reading this in a tweet and I don't remember I think he was quoting someone I don't remember who he was quoting but it was the the stars Dallas morning news beat writer um he was saying um or someone said that about the stars in the Tampa game, that one team looked like they were just trying to win a game and the other team looked like they were trying to win a cup. And I was like, exactly. And I just, I need them to turn around, please, for my own sanity. So with that, do you want to do rant and rave now? Yes. Do you want me to go first? Because I feel like you just ranted a lot. Yes, please. I was just about to say, it always feels like my my star stuff goes right and in, seamlessly into rants. <laughs> <laughs> so my rant is, and I did not want to make this a topic because I'm really sick of talking about this human, but Mike Babcock gave another interview. Oh, and it's the thing where he did, there's so many like pet peeves of mine. He did the I take accountability, I take responsibility, but and I'm like, no, you don't. If you say but, no, you don't. But negates everything you said before it. Right? And then so I was sitting there like, you didn't take accountability for anything that happened. And the sad thing is, I think if he would take accountability for some stuff, I think there is a point, a clarification he made about the story that is relevant and is interesting. And that is the Mitch Marner story. It kind of went around and it kind of made it look like some diabolical thing where he like showed the list to like 
the other players. Apparently what happened is he had Marner come in. He did that. Definitely shouldn't have done that. Terrible idea. But then he left the list on the table and like Bozak came in for a meeting and like saw it. But it wasn't like he actively tried to like throw it in. However, doesn't make the list right. And he said he went to Mitch, said I screwed up. And keep in mind, Mitch is like 19 years old. And it's like, do you want me to like apologize and explain in front of the team? And Mitch is like, no. Like, what is he going to say? He's 19 years old. Just do it. Just do it. But so I think like he has a a few kernels of like, that's important to the story. But it's underneath a pile of bullshit. And so it's like, I can't even take this seriously. And then... <laughs> in, the, in the midst of this pile of bullshit, I wish this was a visual thing for everyone else. <laughs> I just wait because this is—I'm pretty sure this is a direct quote from this. So, in the midst of explaining this whole situation, he said, "Mitch Marner has always been a good player for Mike Babcock." Literal quote. I cannot stand people who do third person. I should say Wait, more. Babcock I can't stand that. Yes. I don't like that. You're trying to win people over. You're trying to apologize. On what planet is third person endearing? Because we don't live on it. And I don't like, like that at all. It baffled me. I'm like, did you have anyone give you any advice? Because they can't have told you to do this. So Sounds like he had an out-of-body experience at that point or something. It was, oh. And he does it. That's not the only time he's done third person. And I haven't heard a person who's like, you know, I really like hearing people talk in the third person. It's really interesting. The only time people like hearing other people talk in the third person is when it's ironic. Like if yeah. I said, Laura Furrow really doesn't like when Mike Babcock does that. That's right. Like that would be okay. But it, actually seriously talking like that is just stupid. So don't really want to talk about him a lot. I didn't want to do a whole topic on him, but did want to rant about those couple things that it's like, really, dude? Um, my rant is also about um, a garbage hockey person, specifically a player, specifically a blues player, and that is Jordan Bennington. I could just end it there and be like, that's my rant, Jordan Bennington, just his name. Um. But they were playing the Sharks after the Sharks came back from COVID, which none of us knew. Uh, and I don't really know the full context of this video. I only know the video, and that is, it's not really surprising, but Bennington, like, what did he do? He, like, He was pushed. skating off, though. It was, it was like he had been pulled. Yeah. He, it was, was like he had been pulled by his coach, but usually, you know, when they get pulled, they go to, like, the bench but I guess that bench I guess that bench isn't wouldn't be attached to the dressing room so then he'd just have to skate off but instead of skating off just you know maturely he like shoved us uh I almost said stars player a sharks player like pretended he was gonna hit one of them in the face and then almost a goalie fight at the end and it's just so ridiculous and this isn't the first time he's pulled crap like that. Like he's done it when he was with their uh, AHL team, when he was playing the stars AHL team, he actually legitimately started a fight with uh, the stars, like three guys all at once, basically. Um, 
and I just so and I get like the video I watched was the blues broadcast so they were like he got fired I'm like that's not fire that's immaturity and stupid and like he does that a lot where he just throws a tantrum for a normal thing that happens to like every goalie you're gonna get pulled once in your career just handle it like a adult and then have your tantrum back in the dressing room where no one can see it and it just he drives me nuts because he feels it's just he got so much like pray and even still gets a lot of praise and he hasn't been that great of a goalie since season and even then I feel like he wasn't like I don't know it just it annoys me when athletes like that get so much praise and it's like then he does crap like that and it's like it kind of reminds me of Bauer like he it just gets pushed off as like well he's got fire and um he's just controversial and blah 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 and it's like no he's being immature and he's being an ass and I will say not a defense of the person but I think Bauer is a far better baseball player than Bennington is a goalie Oh, yeah. Like, I, I think it's kind of gone under the radar a bit. The Bennington, like, he did have a couple God mode games in playoffs. Yeah. He, since the playoffs, has not been that great. And no. last year he had Jake Allen, which definitely helped because Jake Allen is definitely an NHL caliber backup. Mm-hmm. Billy Huso, like, it kind of has to be Bennington carrying yeah. the load. And if he doesn't have it, what are the... the blues do and so I I think that's that's an issue and even I will say last year the games that the stars played against the blues I think they faced Jake Allen more often than Bennington and like the games that the blues won Jake Allen was the uh, goalie because I remember the one I remember mostly is the one last last sporting event I've been to um, was the 5-1 Stars loss against the Blues, and Jake Allen started that game, and Bennington wasn't in net, which I was disappointed because I really wanted to boo him from all the way in the nosebleeds, and I didn't get to do that, so that was disappointing, but I, that's why I think when Jake Allen was – I was so surprised because my one memory is like, well, he's the Stars, so of course, to me, I'm like, why wouldn't the Blues want to keep him just to do good against one team? But – I personally like seeing Bennington suck. I hate seeing him act like an asshole while he does it. Yeah, so I think this is interesting. As I think I said this earlier, but Bennington has a 909 save percentage. Yeah. Billy Husu has an 879. And Jake Allen has a 929. There you go. I knew that was going to happen, too. When, when we were talking about the goalie merry-go-round episodes ago before the season – I was. I just had a feeling. I was like, they're gonna take Jake Allen away from there, and he's gonna be better than what the Blues are left with. And I hope it stays that way, just because I'm petty, and I would appreciate that. So, do you want to talk about Rays? Yes, please. <laughs> so, I I discovered this while we were recording, and it has to be my Rays because. So the Golden Globes are tonight, and they're doing something a little yes. different, where there are a lot of like people at home but they got red carpet ready and stuff like that and I've been like a little all over the place with that some of them are really cool some of them I'm like did you really need to go like if this you just like <laughs> uh, okay but 
my favorite. And I think the whole message that it sends and everything is kind of perfect. So in 2011, um, Mad Men was a big deal. So yes. obviously January Jones was nominated and attended. I don't know what she's in this time, but she att- attended virtually. But she decided to rewear her 2011 Atelier yes. Versace dress. And then it gets better because on Mad Men, her daughter was played by Kiernan Shipka. And so after Kiernan Shipka sees this, she puts on a dress, that she, the dress that she wore to the 2011 Golden Globe. Oh my gosh, I'm looking at that. That's amazing. And it clearly, like, if you look at the picture, like, someone was like, how can a grown woman fit into a third Like, first of all, party pooper. Second of all, like, someone pointed out, you can clearly tell it's not buttoned in the back. Yeah. Like, it's just barely. Yeah. On, but it's it's such a cute thing, and I do know because for a while, January Jones, like you could just bet on the fact for big award shows she was going to wear Atelier Versace, and you can that's a very Versace looking dress. I ju- I because I wasn't sure which dress it was because I go back and forth with watching mm-hmm. award shows, and if I do, it's usually for the red carpets, and that red dress is like one of my favorites. Like I feel like that's kind of one of the more iconic dresses from a red carpet it's just memorable that and she has a white atelier versace that she Mm -hmm. wore to the to the emmys forever ago that she kind of looked like armor and it was really like badass looking so i thought this was really cool and one thing i loved is so both of them had like these really like shiny tight hairdos for the 2011 and then they're both doing this more like loose ethereal kind of hairstyle yeah so it's almost like they're coordinated it's it's so cool yeah I so I really love that also it just like dawned on me that 2011 was 10 years ago because at first I was thinking oh like five years ago and then in the caption of her wearing the dress it was like pulled this out from 10 years ago it's like wait 2011 was 10 years ago <laughs> that's so weird <laughs> it's it's hard to think about that's okay I graduated in 2011 <laughs> high school so <laughs> it's weird to think about for me yeah too. um so my rave is a personal rave in that uh this past Thursday my parents and I we all got our second dose of the COVID vaccine uh in Texas I know every state has different like not regulations but like Like priorities yeah and so we all fall under high risk for phase 1b in Texas so we were very surprised how fast we got the dose but the fact that we got our second dose and the funny thing is we got um our second dose at 2 p.m on Thursday found out my grandma got her first dose on 2 p.m on Thursday, which was just like a cool coincidence. And it made me so happy because I truly wish this feeling of like knowing your loved ones and you are vaccinated because it's a huge relief. And I cannot wait for everyone to have this feeling of relief, especially because like my dad still goes into work and I know a lot of his employees don't aren't going to get the vaccine in 
whatnot and they've already had a few cases of COVID in the last year so like for me it's a huge relief knowing he's going to work vaccinated which means he can't, he won't end up in the hospital if he gets COVID which I think is a concern we've all had in the last year is that you could or someone you love end up in the hospital because we don't know how this is going to treat everyone and that's the scariest part of it so it's a huge relief and I think even more relieving now that Johnson and Johnson has been approved for emergency use and that's even more doses and vaccines available yeah when I saw the numbers of like vaccines we're gonna have like by the end of May and stuff yeah I I am at like the very bottom of Iowa's list which uh-huh. doesn't surprise me and I'm totally okay with that because I work from home yeah. and I'm 28 years old. So <laughs> I get that. But yeah. it, with Johnson and Johnson's like, oh, it's closer. Um, a couple of things I just wanted to say because I've been seeing this yeah. a lot. There had to, they had to go on this, like Fauci and all of them had to go on this like media tour to tell people something I feel should be obvious, which is take the first vaccine you can get. Yeah, like people seriously are like comparing efficacy and stuff, which first of all, efficacy is not like just because one is 90% and the other is 95 or something like that. It's not an exact number. Right. They're all literally all of them are 100% in preventing you from being hospitalized or dying from COVID. Yeah, which is the most important thing. Yes. And all of them are highly effective mm-hmm. at preventing COVID. The FDA would not have approved them otherwise. So, like, just take the vaccine that you can get. And also, please actually get vaccinated. It's like, if you are able to, I I know that there is like some very small population who are immunocompromised who can't, but that is the whole reason that all of us has to get vaccinated. And a lot of these vaccines are only available, like, I know the Johnson Johnson is for 18 and older. Mm -hmm. So, like, can I'm gonna do it? Please say. Think of the children. Can we not please get vaccinated since our children can't? Right. So like I listen. I pass out for needles all the time. I'm just like a ter- like my body reacts terribly to them. Yeah. I will like speed to get the vaccine when I am able to. And yeah. so this, this podcast is pro vaccine, and that oh, will be sure. Sure. That's going to be our episode title. <laughs> I've actually gotten like really nerdy about learning about vaccines because I follow um, two scientists on Instagram. One is, oh, I'm going to screw up her name. I think it's Jessica Maleta Rivera. I, I always screw up her name. She's an amazing follow. She's an infectious disease researcher, I believe. Um, she does Q and A's every weekend. She has them all saved in her stories. Um, I've been following her since like the summer and around like October, November. She had so many people telling her she got the flu- that they got the flu shot for the first time, all because of like the information she gives. Um, she talks about all the vaccines. She debunks misinformation. She's just an amazing follow. And she's always saying, like, the best vaccine is the one available to you. So, because people will ask her, are you going to get the Pfizer or Moderna? And she's like, I'm going to get whichever one I can get. Um, And then also the handle is King Gutter Baby. Her name's Laura Bristol. Uh, She's also an infectious disease researcher. 
also has some amazing saved Instagram stories that are very informative and also funny. Um, And I just, I feel so much more informed about this because I also understand like people might be worried because it's a vaccine that was was rushed, but really it just didn't have to go through all the red tape like other vaccines. And also one thing that I learned from them is like, we're actually super lucky that Moderna and Pfizer were like 90, 95%. That's like rare that they're that high of an efficacy. Like the Johnson and Johnson, I think is like 65, which means it's 65% in preventing symptomatic COVID. So not just like all COVID, it just means you have a 65% chance of not getting symptoms from it, which is good because that's also somewhat high for a shot. Like the flu shot is only 50% efficacy. So I get, get the COVID shot when you can. <laughs> that's a, a good point too. Cause I remember this from the whole mumps situation in the NHL. Yeah. Eventually when the vaccine is, when we reach something like herd immunity and inevitably someone gets COVID, please do not first assume that they did not get the vaccine yeah. because it is highly possible to still get the disease and not get the vaccine and have gotten the yeah. vaccine. So yeah. like hold back a little bit before as pro vaccine as I am, definitely make sure the person actually didn't get the vaccine before criticizing. Right. And also another good point of mentioning that you can still get COVID with the vaccine. So still wear masks once you get the vaccine, because also like it does, it's not fully effective until two weeks after your second dose for Pfizer at least that's the one I got and also you can still get it and not know it you can you're more likely to be asymptomatic which means you can still give it to someone who didn't get a vaccine or hasn't been able to get one yet so if you've been vaccinated still wear your mask still social distance me and Laura will lecture you about this for (laughs) at least two more years and um I will say it is, if you ever want to like feel really like kind of put it in perspective, because we're having arguments now about like, I just don't trust the vaccine and stuff like that. And really obnoxious arguments like that. Whereas if you look back in like thirties and stuff, when polio was just ravaging people and Mm -hmm. destroying lives. And if it didn't kill some people, it left them like paralyzed or if you saw FDR like barely able to walk yeah and stuff like that and then they Jonas Salk it's kind of famous came out with the polio vaccine and they had to like have crowd control for the moms who just like rushed their children like desperate it was like what Black Friday is now but for a vaccine and so people so many years ago would give up so much for what we have so easily and Mm -hmm. so don't take that for granted and don't just dismiss it because now like things work so well so you start to question everything yeah and it's like the reason we're here the reason so many diseases aren't as scary as they used to be is because of vaccines and vaccines as a science and as a practice are very well established. Obviously each disease is a little different. They have to go through all the testing and stuff like that. But the concepts behind vaccination are very, very well established. And I will actually say that in reading about like
presidents from the Revolutionary War, what they had to do, and it was a hard decision to like get people inoculated from smallpox is they actually had to take like a sample from someone who had a mild case of it Mm -hmm. and then willingly give it. So like our, it's not activated. Like you're going to get some symptoms, but you aren't going to get like full-blown COVID. Yeah. This was like basically giving them a mild case of smallpox. And, and it was an agonizing decision, which I can understand why that would be a tougher decision to make because some people didn't survive inoculation, but like these generals and stuff were having to decide if their wives and kids should do that. And now it's like a vaccine. It's such a life commitment. Please, please do the research. The science is there. Like I said, this podcast is pro vaccine. Yeah. That's just kind of end of and and those two Instagrams I said, if you don't want to go look for the information yourself, they have the information for you. I also will say it was a good reminder on uh, Laurel Bristow's uh, Instagram because she also got the Pfizer vax. And one thing I expected was like the next day to feel absolutely crummy because when I got my flu shot the next day, it like I was out. I w- had like the worst body aches ever. That's what I expected with this. Surprisingly, I only had like a like a headache so small that I only felt it when I thought about it and like a little ache in the arm that was uh got the shot and honestly I'll I'll be honest in my head I was like does this mean like I since I didn't have a reaction that like it's not working like it's not gonna work for me but everyone reacts differently if you don't have like though you she she said it perfectly you don't feel shitty to know that the vaccine worked Mm-hmm. which was a great reminder for me personally because there was a part of it was like, like great I didn't get th- the vaccine's not gonna work for me kind of a thing but I have heard that Lerna might have more symptoms than Pfizer but it also just depends on your own immune reaction some people just have worse symptoms from it than others and some have absolutely none but it is like for most people yeah whatever you have to put up with for getting the vaccine is far outweighed oh for benefit. sure obviously like you said there's that small percentage of people and that's why you need herd immunity yeah. but for most of us it's going to make sense so oh, yeah morgan's already been vaccinated and months from now when they come to me in the line i will i we'll will have for the sure same conversation then yeah. too well and especially then because i think right now like at least in Iowa, a lot of them are still like pretty at risk population getting the vaccine. And so I think those people, because they're more scared of the disease, are way more willing to get the vaccine. I think when we get to where my, my end of the line is, I think those people (laughs) are the people who are like, I just don't, it happened too fast. I don't trust it. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to bother me. Um, just just get the vaccine it's literally if you feel crummy just remind yourself that it's much better to feel crummy at home knowing it's going to end in probably 24 hours than what could happen if you didn't get the vaccine which is that you could end up hospitalized on a ventilator doesn't sound as fun I'm gonna I'm gonna confess a little something here I did a little thing with like locally where you could like sign up and get set up on like a blind zoom date and I did this and it was okay. The guy was fine. So 
this is no trust me this is going somewhere okay it was fine it was it was like I was like I'll give this guy a shot like yeah huh. we might go out again this is going well and then he started talking about like oh god yeah I just like I don't trust this vaccine and no. it's like all of and he goes on this like five minute rant <gasps> against vaccine on a first date <laughs> and I'm just like dude that seems I'm very like, anti-vaxxer, though, <laughs> to go like, on a, a first date rant. That's a deal breaker. Like, there is no coming back from that. No. Like, <laughs> that's I don't care how well it was going. I was, I was like, really? It wasn't going that great. But even right. still, I would have I gone on a second one just to see how things yeah. went. But it was like, I am not going on. Like, this oh, is just a hard sucks. test. Honestly, it should be a requirement that if you are anti-vax, you have to tell me that before the first date. So then yeah. I don't bother. Yeah, because I'm like, that's it just bummed me out. I was like, yeah. I wasted an hour of my life. Yeah. Not so much that this didn't work out, but I wasted an hour of my life. Um, like you should have just told me that from the beginning. I was like, oh, okay, I gotta go. Sorry. I got a bad connection. Hi. <laughs> oh so, man. I'm gonna end with that. This this, this <laughs> podcast is pro vaccine. They this it's a non-negotiable yes and with that we'll see you next week guys (laughs) bye